Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, just quickly, before we jump into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. Now, this is a 12-month online program where you have video training that teaches you everything you need to know about how to do your own PR. You can ask questions on the platform and you can also post your proposed pitches and media releases before sending them to journalists to get my feedback. You also get to jump on a monthly live group call where you can ask whatever questions you want about your business and you can get tailored help from me on anything to do with raising the profile of your brand. So it might be that I look at your website and give you some feedback or how to improve your LinkedIn profile and other marketing and PR topics. So if you'd like to find out more about that, just hop on over to veganbusinessmedia.com and you'll see a link there for Vegans in the Limelight. And now on to the main part of the show. In this episode, I interviewed Jeffrey Harris, co-founder of Plant Power Fast Food, a vegan fast food chain in San Diego, California. Jeffrey has spent the past 30 years working in the professional audio industry, mostly as a regional and national sales account manager for top brands. In 2004, he began to contemplate the idea of building a nationwide chain of 100% plant-based fast food restaurants. After years of searching for partners who had the operational expertise he lacked, Jeffrey eventually found Mitch Wallace and Zach Vuga, who had years of experience operating vegan restaurants and also shared Jeffrey's vision for an entirely new vegan version of traditional fast food. The trio opened their first plant power fast food restaurant in San Diego in January 2016 and currently have five restaurants in operation in Southern California with more in the planning stages for what they hope will be a nationwide chain of restaurants capable of disrupting the traditional fast food restaurant industry with healthier, sustainable and cruelty-free meals. In this interview, Jeffrey discusses the benefits of finding a team to work with to launch the business, key mistakes the company made in the beginning with physical locations and how they created solutions, the move by big fast food chains to jump on the vegan bandwagon by adding plant-based options and how this may impact vegan fast food businesses, why the company pivoted from owning its own restaurants to a franchise model, how he decides where to open the next restaurant and why this is important, how the path of the vegan entrepreneur is a spiritual journey for him, and much more. Here's the interview with Jeffrey Harris from Plant Power Fast Food. Hello, Jeffrey. Thank you for joining me today. Katrina, thank you. So nice to be with you. 
Oh, it's great to speak with you. It's been exciting seeing the, the growth of, of plant-powered uh, fast food. So looking forward to hearing more about that and, and some of your, your insights and your, your tips. So the first question I ask everyone on the show is the why. What are the drivers for doing what you do? Why do you run a vegan business? Oh my God, that's such a great question. And we talk about that a lot because as entrepreneurs, we're so busy in the how, um, but the why is critical for us. So um, my partners, Mitch Wallace and Zach Boga and myself, are all ethical vegans. And before we haven't even met each other, um, all three of us really kind of had this vision of what would happen if somebody introduced kind of a vegan version of McDonald's or Burger King or Jack in the Box to the world. So the real reason we wanted to do this is to save animal lives. And so we're accomplishing that in a few ways. One of the ways we do that is by simply switching out animal-based meals to plant-based meals. So we've calculated that about 75% of our customers, maybe 80, are omnivores. Mm -hmm. And so we can look at all of those meals um, that are moving from uh, uh, an animal-based product to a plant-based product. And over three years, as an example, we've calculated that we've probably taken about 17,000 animals off the plate. So the first reason is to save lives. Um, The second reason is what I call the hearts and minds battle. And that is, um, you know, we're very soft. Um, We're not out there holding signs and saying, save the animals, even though we love that and we believe in it. But plant power is a very soft approach. So we are trying to attract omnivores to our restaurant. That's why we're kind of a familiar fast food format, burgers, shakes, fries. I'm using air quotes, chicken tenders. (laughs) By by bringing omnivores in and allowing them to have a plant-based experience in a format that they're familiar with we find that a lot of people are beginning to ask themselves questions about their own choices. And that's really kind of the most exciting thing about this for us. We know that uh, they might not go to Jeff's Vegan Shack where they're getting a bowl of brown rice and tofu and seaweed and sprouts (laughs) and broccoli, which is maybe how I might really eat most of the time. But if we give them the cheek, uh, you know, bacon cheeseburger, a shake, some fries, we have a better chance of attracting them to a plant-based experience and then having them ask themselves questions yeah. about where their food comes from. Nice. I love it. I love it. Now, you mentioned your partners. So um, tell us a little bit about how did you come to actually kind of start the business? How did you find your, your co-founders? That's a great question. Well, a lot of searching, a lot of begging, and a lot of praying. So <laughs> when, I, when I first began this journey, I believe it was about 14 years ago. And, um, you know, I've been in the corporate space and I've done decent for an old hippie, you know, in terms of, you know, (laughs) making some money, getting his own house. I've done okay. But I was really feeling like my real reason for being here in this world wasn't being realized. And I began to contemplate what kind of business could I start? And it was kind of like a, a lightning bolt, you know, like I'm not saying that this is the new Amazon or Uber, but I had this sudden realization, oh my God, vegan fast food. What if somebody came up with a vegan McDonald's or a plant-based Burger King or whatever? And it began to stew around in my mind. And of course, I shared it with friends and they said, dude, you are crazy. Nobody will buy plant-based fast food. (laughs) It's like 14 years ago. The world hasn't quite shifted yet. But I kept on it. And so, you know, what I realized is that I didn't have the operational expertise part of the equation. I felt that I had a lot of understanding about branding and marketing and Uh, maybe raising funds and kind of promoting a vision, building company culture, um, working with employees. But I figured maybe someplace somewhere out there, 
there's the other part of the equation, the guy that knows how to operate a fast food restaurant. And then maybe by some crazy stretch for the imagination, that person would actually have the same crazy vegan fast food vision that I had. And I literally tried for years and Googled and had interviews and tried to, I figured, well, if I hire a high price consultant, we'll immediately realize that this is brilliant and they'll work for free and they'll find me somebody. But none of those things happen. <laughs> and, um, and there's a little spiritual component to the story that I have shared and I will share it here. I mean, I literally stood on my back porch at one point and kind of offered a prayer to the universe. And I said, okay, if you want me to do this, and when I say you, I mean like the everything, right? All of us. Yeah. Universe, if you want me to do this, give me a sign because I'm getting tired and I don't want to be a crazy old man with a dream. And literally three or four days uh, later, uh, Mike's girlfriend, Susan, called me and she said, you've got to call Mitch Wallace of, of Evolution Fast Food in San Diego. He's your guy. And uh, Susan and Mitch have a mutual friend. So I called Mitch, kind of fell in love with him right away on the phone, drove down there a few days later, met the guy fell in love with him even more. And uh, at first I was working with him and his partner at the time and it wasn't really feeling quite right. My, my relationship with Mitch was amazing and his partner and I were a little bit oil and water. And I walked away after about a year and a half or two years of trying. And, and then Mitch came back and I said, hey, forget about that guy. Let's do this with Zach. I'm like, who's Zach? <laughs> Zach is, a, is the, I call him our young, cool, tattooed millennial member of the gang who had been working up through Mitch's restaurant, Evolution Fast Food in San Diego, which I think is one of the first vegan fast food drive-thrus in the US. And um, Zach and Mitch both had the same crazy vision that I've had. Um, Mitch is very talented. He's opened a lot of vegan restaurants before most of us even knew what the word vegan meant. Um, he's got a, you know, he knows a lot about operations and commissaries and leases and business. He's an attorney as well. Um, oh. And he was a perfect fit. And then Zach is this kind of young, energetic guy that, that just has been um, kind of a genius at kind of building comp company culture. Um, also, like designing uh, the technology and the way the restaurant works. Got a good eye on, on P&L and things like that. And really, it turned out that the three of us were kind of a perfect mix for each other. Yeah. And in 2015, we started getting together at a booth in the back of the outside patio behind Mitch's restaurant and started uh, plotting our diabolical plans to take over the world. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, oh, I love yeah. that. I, I love the, the importance of the team and, and how it, it came together like that. I, I really like that. So can you tell us about what were some of the key challenges then when you were first starting out with the business? Well, every entrepreneur, well, yeah, everyone's going to know the first one, and that is capital. Yeah. So how do you raise money to realize your vision? It kind of feels like, when I was a teenager, you know, playing in a rock band, we wanted to get a record deal, whatever that meant, right? And the chances of that are one in a million. And, and sometimes it seems like raising capital is the same. So, you know, the first thing, we, we did this thing backwards. We signed a lease and then we started raising money, which is not a very <laughs> smart way to go. I recommend don't do that. But, you know, really raising capital was the key. And really, we did a lot of hard work of reaching out to everyone that we knew that might believe in our vision. Um, we were looking for what I call uh, VWMs, which is vegans with money. So that was our first thing. <laughs> and, you know, I was Googling and finding out who are the vegans out there with money, but a lot of family and friends. It was a very slow and arduous process. But really, raising capital was the, was the first big challenge that we had at our first restaurant and our second restaurant. Um, and then the other big challenge is all of the things that you can't foresee. 
So you're building a restaurant and then the city says, well, maybe you can't really cook food here. And we're like, what? You know, all sorts of crazy things would happen where um, obstacles would come up where it looked for a moment like we would just be derailed and our dream would kind of end in ashes. But we just never gave up. We just we, we came across so many moments where we were really forlorn and sad and scared. But we just kept pushing. We'd make that next phone call or have that next meeting with the city or hire that next architect. And um, one by one, the obstacles that did come up for us would be uh, overwhelmed by our persistence. And we've been fortunate because, you know, sometimes it's hard out there. But I'd say capital is the first thing. And the second thing is just kind of overcoming all the obstacles that you can't even foresee. Sure. So you gave an example there of the lease, not not getting the lease before raising the capital, which is a really important one. Is there another example you can give me? Like you've mentioned the obstacles. I think that's actually a really helpful, practical tip. So I'm just wondering if there's any other um, obstacles that you came across that you could share and how you overcame them. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, a, a great recent example is our opening in Long Beach, California. We're so excited for this new restaurant. It's our third corporate location and our fifth location overall. We were so excited to grab this uh, drive-through location in Long Beach because it's very hard to get drive-throughs. You're competing against Starbucks, McDonald's, everybody with a lot of money. Um, and literally weeks before we opened the restaurant, you know, we never thought much about it that this place has been a drive-through for years. We actually tried to drive our our, our our cars through the drive-through and then get out the only exit that the city would allow us to use as an exit. We're realizing, oh my God. This actually doesn't work. And we tried everything that we could as an example to, you know, to, to, to keep the drive through element of Long Beach. And we have some plans where it may happen in the future. But this is a good example of we said, well, this is, what, this is what's happening. We have two choices here. We can give up, which is not possible because we've taken our investors' money and we've got a lot invested into it. Or we can open it for now as a non-drive through, develop some, you know, kiosks, um, promote people using their mobile ordering applications on their phones and and give it our best. And in fact, this event, which seemed like tragic for a moment, has not been a problem at all. Long Beach is actually our best performing location right now. Wow. And um, we can't we can't even <clears throat> keep up with the lines of people that are waiting to get in. So sometimes something that you imagined is a huge obstacle really isn't. Uh, I think it's like uh, Zen, you have to learn how to flow. And to see what the universe has in store for you. And I'm sorry, I, I get a little cosmic sometimes, but <laughs> no, that's great. That's really interesting. It's really helpful. Thank you for sharing that. I think this is that, those are kind of really useful nuggets. And I like the way you've made the best of it. And you seem a very solution focused person. Um, and don't stay down, like you said, in the forlornness uh, of it. You you kind of yeah, yeah, just come up with the solution. I love that. Now, I believe. Um, and well, let's talk about the, um, the the big fast food chains that you've mentioned a couple there. Now, at the moment, they're jumping in on the the vegan bandwagon at the moment and adding plant-based options to the menu and there's you know big publicity about it what are your thoughts on this and how is it impacting your business or how do you think it might impact you as a business and by the way thank thank you Katrina that's a great question um it's a question our investors ask lately everyone seems a little concerned about it yeah (laughs) yeah they're like wait a minute before I write this check what's the answer to that question um and then I always just distract them by saying look a squirrel no, I'm kidding. Um, so, um, it worked you know, for a second yeah, there. Yeah. I did. <laughs> I thought of a cute a, little fluffy squirrel. Okay, cool. <laughs> if you're a retriever with a checkbook, it could work well. <laughs> but anyway, you know, here's here's the thing: is like, um, 
you know, this is a great thing. So, you know, Burger King going with the Impossible Burger, Carl's Jr. with Beyond Meat. I believe that uh, Del Taco's coming on, KFC. It's inevitable that McDonald's will get there. Everyone's jumping on right now. And in fact, this is something that every vegan and animal advocate has been praying for for years. We've been working towards this. So one thing we need to say is that this is a incredibly positive development, and we're glad to see it happening. The interesting thing is, is that we always predicted it. So in our earlier investment materials, when we were first getting going in 2015, we actually said in these materials, this will happen one day, believe it or not, and no one believed us. But any one of us who's been in the kind of a plant-based space for 20 or 30 or 40 years, we've been watching, it's kind of like we've been watching the lava kind of move up towards the volcano. Nobody else has seen it. But anyone who's been around in that space understood that big change was coming. And we're thrilled to see that happen. So the first, the first part is, this is great. We're grateful. It's good for the animals. It's good for people's health. But here's the other thing. There's two more elements to it. Number one, it changes the entire ecosystem. So one of the things I was deeply touched by is Carl's Jr.'s uh, Beyond Burger ad on the Super Bowl. It was hilarious. They showed an old cowboy doing yoga and eating a Beyond Burger. And it was so against <laughs> type of the macho guy not eating a, a, a veggie burger. The truth of the matter is, is that these, these large chains are giving credence to and normalizing the idea that everyone, including tough guys, can eat you know, veggie burgers or vegan burgers. So this is a great sea shift in terms of consciousness. So I think that that's changing the ecosystem. It's also making people more aware of this gradual change that some of us have been seeing for a long time. Now it's coming to the surface and people are having to acknowledge that the world is changing. And I actually think that that makes businesses like ours or other similar businesses you know, a veggie grill or native hut or uh, next level burger. I think it's going to give all of us quite a lift. But the last thing I wanted to share about this, which is, I think that the key point, and that is what I call brand. So I'm sure that there's many wonderful humans working for these big fast food giants. Um, these big fast food giants do a significant amount of damage to the planet by the support of animal agriculture. A few vegan burgers is not going to change that. They really are not doing good things for the world. I'm sure there's great people that work there, that make a living, that would like to see it different. That said, these big companies don't really, they're not really here to make a change, to save the animals, to improve our health, to save the environment. They're here because they're motivated by a fundamental organizing principle of most major corporations, and that's profit. Mm -hmm. I'm not criticizing the pursuit of profit. Plant power is all about profit. But the question goes back to what you asked before, and that's the why. Why are we here? And that leads me to this brand. So when I think of Carl's Jr., Burger King, McDonald's, I'm grateful that they're serving vegan burgers. But when we think about these brands, we think of large kind of monolithic corporations who have, in fact, done a bit of damage to the planet and to people's health. We know that they're not in it you know, to create a vegan utopia on this planet. But when people think about plant power or other similar brands, which are 100% plant-based and GMO-free, we're not using plastic straws or knives or forks. They're plant-based. We're using biodegradable materials as much as possible. More and more of our locations will be solar-powered. We're offering a completely revolutionary take on traditional fast food. 
And even for consumers who aren't vegans and who are not committed to being plant-based, they can see and feel that this brand has some kind of an authenticity to it. In fact, while we've watched this sea change and the introduction of vegan products at the major, um, at the major brands, we're seeing a huge spike in our sales. We're doing fine. And I believe that as we continue to open restaurants, um, these offerings from the majors are simply going to improve the ecosystem for, um, uh, for brands like ours. I, I, will say, I will say that one day somebody might say, let's put a billion dollars behind the next plant power. Like, let's build a gigantic, completely vegan brand and overtake the market. And then if that happens, <laughs> I think that some of our the small independents like us will, will have some thinking to do. Um, and that's certainly a possibility. But the other possibility is that capital will want to find its way into the segment and that they will begin to support brands like ours that have a new vision. Got it. I love it. Brilliant. I love that answer. Um, now, in terms of your, your business model, I believe you own the, the current restaurants and you hire staff rather than operating on a franchise model. So I'm curious why you decided to go that route and what are the pros and cons? Great question. Actually, our first two restaurants were corporate restaurants, but we have, in fact, pivoted to a franchise model. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so our restaurant in Redlands is a franchise model. We opened up um, San Diego State University as a franchise, although we might buy it back into the company because we really are excited about being on campuses and having a lot of control. Um, we have uh, three or four more franchise locations in development right now. So I'll tell you why we did that. From a business point of view, even though we think we're really cool, and even though we have really extraordinary unit level metrics, in other words, our top line sales are competing like with McDonald's locations, but our EBITDA or our net profit is way beyond what people are achieving in fast food right now. So we have a very, very strong model. That said, I don't think anybody out there is gonna give these three crazy vegan hippies 20 million right now to build 15 new corporate locations, even though it's very, very profitable. And even if they did, Mitch and Zach and I would probably end up with like 2% of some company. So it's just not possible at this moment. Therefore, we've elected to kind of endeavor to expand our franchise infrastructure and support franchise growth. And what that does for us is allows our franchisees to basically capitalize our expansion. So it might cost between a million and 1.5 million to get a new plant power to that first day where the doors open. Um, if we want to open 10, 15, 20, 30 restaurants in the next three or four years, um, we don't have the capital to do that ourselves yet. And so we're allowing our franchise partners to really kind of power that movement for us. We do see the need to keep building corporate units because from a business point of view, they're extraordinarily profitable. I mean, for the kind of investment that we put in them, the return is, is, is crazy. So we are, in fact, going to be building two more corporate units from our Series A capital raise, and in the future, we'll build more as well. But for the, for the th next three or four years, when we're trying to get to 15, 20, 25, 50, 100 units, I think the franchise strategy will be a big part of how we'll achieve that. That's great. And it's good that you're offering other people the chance to effectively run their own vegan business and be yes. part of the, the franchise, which is great. So you talked about the different locations. Um, how do you decide uh, where to open next? Because obviously, as you mentioned, the location for a physical business like, like yours is really important. So how do you decide where you're going to open and why have you focused on Southern California to start with as well? Yeah, great question. I'll answer your second question first, and that is, of course, you know, I'm actually L.A. based. And fortunately, when I found my partners after a long search, they were in San Diego, which is, I guess is better than Oklahoma 
or Arkansas. (laughs) So, you know, uh, as we developed our organization and our team, we're here. Our first round of employees and managers are all here. So we're Southern California based to begin. Um, Our first location was interesting. It's in the Ocean Beach area of San Diego. I joke with people that we kind of, you know, licked our finger, put it up in the air, kind of felt which way the wind was blowing and said, (laughs) yeah, that feels right. But in fact, what we were seeing was high traffic pattern, a very interesting mixed community of kind of like Venice, California, you know, hippies, surfers, yogis, yuppies, a few homeless crackheads, you know, just kind of the right mix to be cool. And we were across (laughs) the street from uh, a natural food co-op. So we kind of looked around that area. You know, we saw the yoga studios, we saw the natural food co-op, we saw the traffic flow and it looked right. So back then we really didn't start with any super intelligent demographics other than our intuition. Thankfully, it was at the most amazing location ever. I mean, it's just grown by leaps and bounds every year. And we kind of did the same thing with our second location in Encinitas, California, which is right off the freeway. It's across the street from a hospital complex next to a Vons. It just felt right for us. But now at this stage, we've got five restaurants open. And it's not difficult for any real estate broker to start to plug in addresses and actually analyze the demographics. So without hiring a big you know, demographics team, like some other chains can probably afford, we can easily have our, our real estate team uh, do a demographic analysis of any location that we're looking at right now. Uh, from a 30,000 from a foot view, you know, is there a Trader Joe's nearby? Is there a Whole Foods nearby? Is there a college or university? Um, uh, you, know, you know, is there a 99 cent store? Maybe not the best match yet. And that's not to say that we don't want to be everywhere one day that we don't want to be in urban environments or in the food ghettos, we certainly do. But at this early stage of our growth, we can't take any big risks. We need every single unit to be very successful. Got it. Lovely. That leads nicely into my next questions, which are around um, how has the business been funded to date? Um, We beg for money. I'm kidding. But no, I'm kind of true. It's kind of true. So basically all of our growth right now has been capitalized by investors. So we've started out with a very strong, um, ethic of not really accumulating debt at the beginning of our operation. Now, from one point of view, we couldn't accumulate it if we wanted it because really no one's going to lend. It's very challenging to get a, a loan to open a restaurant, let alone some crazy vegan fast food restaurant idea. The only way to do that is to put your house up on the line, you know, if you're lucky. So debt was out, but we also really didn't want to use the debt model anyway because we thought it would put too much pressure on the business. Mm-hmm. But we were very, very confident in what we're doing. So we basically um, sought investors who would um, share both the benefit and the risk for us. And thankfully, they've all done really, really well so far. So, so thus far, you know, we've had um, three separate raises at the unit level. So we raised money for Ocean Beach and for Encinitas and for Long Beach. And now, of course, we're at the next stage in our capital raise. But um, raising money and getting investors is just been probably one of the most challenging things to do. But it's also so satisfying because we, we become close with these people. I mean, we get to send them their good news reports on their check once a quarter. And we love doing it. You know, are they mainly and, vegan investors, Jeffrey, or just people who are interested and can see the growth in the sector? That's a great question. I think it's a combination of both. I think when we're looking at smaller investors, which we were able to do before, and we can't now, but you know, the 10, 20, 30, $50,000 investors, we were getting a lot of what I would call the mission-based inspired vegans who said, yes, this is what I want to support. This is the thing. 
And then, and uh, even some of our larger vegan angels, you know, um, we got those as well. And then we got a few like, you know, people that were watching the uh, plant-based segment that, that went, holy moly, I want to get into this. And so we got some of those as well. Now, as we move to the next level of fundraising in our series A, we're talking to the, the same two groups, but now it's different because there are larger capital investors now um, that frankly don't really care about our mission, but they've watched the success of the Beyond Meat IPO and the explosion of interest in the plant-based segment, and they want to get in. And honestly, they may not care about our vision. And uh, conversely, we do have what I would call vegan angel investors that do have some abundance and some wherewithal, and they want to support us, but they also have to invest their money in such a way where they get a return. Yeah. So they still do all their due diligence, and they usually have their financial teams pour through our figures. Um, Nobody's giving their money away for free. Um, everybody wants to make sure that their money works well for them. And of course, we're committed to doing that as well. Absolutely. So just on that, um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, because obviously the restaurant industry is not known for necessarily being profitable quickly. Um, so I'm curious, you've, you've said that you, your your units so far, they've been, uh, you know, you've had some good growth and success. So um, yeah. how many of them are they? Are you in profit yet? And how long did that take for that to happen? I just want to kind of give a realistic yeah. point of view to people if they are going to, you know, open a business, whether it's a restaurant or not, as to you know, how quickly it can be possible to break even and then go into profit. Great. That's a great example. So first of all, I want to, I want to clarify that there's kind of two ways of looking at profit. There's what I call getting all your money back, right? And then being in the profit zone. And then there's kind of um, operational profit or the EBITDA of the business itself. So let me address that one first. So people have told us it might take, you know, six months or a year before your restaurant is breaking even. You're just going to be burning cash. And one day there'll be enough customers and you'll actually be in the black with that. In that regard, we actually were operationally in the black almost immediately. So at our first location in ocean beach, um, we did 1.1 million our first year in top line sales. We were shocked by that. Of course, our second year was 1.9 and our third year was 2.5. So that's the plant-based explosion that we're talking about. So that is very good for a fast food restaurant, but here's the fun part by the end of our second quarter, of operation. Um, we were operationally in the black. We were sending out investor checks at the end of Q2. And the same thing happened with our uh, Encinitas restaurant, except we were actually sending out investor checks at the end of Q1, which meant we started each restaurant with some capital in the bank, not enough, maybe 40 or 50,000, which is very, very little, hoping that we wouldn't burn through it. And in fact, we immediately had crowds. We were operating profitably and that worked well. Um, I could say that with Ocean Beach, I'm not looking at the figures in front of me, but I believe that um, it probably paid back the investment in about a year and a half, which is unusual, by the way. And there's a lot of mechanics when you're looking at that. How much did the founders put in? How much was the balance of the raise to investors? How is the return structured? Um, With Encinitas, we think that um, getting their investment back would be closer to maybe four years. Um, But in the meantime, they're getting... 80% 80% of our profits, as an example, and they're getting big checks. Wow. So, um, so far, we've been doing great. And we just opened up Long Beach, so we haven't seen a PL yet, but we're already tracking it. And it's probably going to be one of our, our most successful locations so far. Amazing. So, you're currently mentioned you're currently planning an investment raise. So, tell us uh, briefly a little bit about that. What, what is the investment opportunity and what do you hope to gain? Cool. Thank you for asking. So um, it's important to note that um, up till now, we've really kind of been in what I call phase one. 
And so phase one is uh, asks a few questions. If we build it, will they come? So in other words, will we get top line sales? Will people come to our restaurants? Do they like it? Will they spend money? The answer for phase one has been a big yes. The second question is, if we build it and they come and they spend their money, will we be profitable? Will we operate in such a way where, where we're actual pro actually profitable, successful, giving investors a good return? Again, the answer has been yes. And then the other third part of phase one has been, um, will the franchise model work? So in a franchise model, we take some of the profits, actually we take some of the gross sales from, that, from the franchisee. So the question is, Will a franchisee be able to profit and do well with our model after we take our percent off the top? And again, the answer is yes. So phase one is kind of leaving us with like five restaurants with three or four more planned. But we realize that the way that we've been organized to complete phase one is not going to work to get to 25, 50, 100, or 200 restaurants. To do that, we really need a kind of a corporate structure. So we've formed a new parent company that is called the Plant Power Restaurant Group. And we are raising a total of $7.5 million in capital for that company. I won't go into all of the details, but the basic overview is we'll be using those funds to expand our commissary operation so we can get up to 25 or more units in Southern California and maybe based on distribution, possibly all of California. Uh, we want to build a couple more corporate units because those are very profitable and those can create revenue for the parent company. They can power our ability to kind of build up our infrastructure. And then lastly, we're using a portion of that money to roll up our first two corporate restaurants into the parent company so that we can capture that revenue, which means we're paying those investor groups a certain amount of money based on our contractual obligations with them. So we're really, really excited about the raise because it signifies a huge next step for us. We've left the ma and pa phase one, which, which went better than we expected. We're entering phase two, which is really based on opening at least 25 units over the next two or three years in Southern California, and we're right on track with that. And then, of course, once we prove that we can do that, it's really time to, to go much, much bigger, phase three. So one of the things that investors ask me about an investment in our parent company, they go, well, how do I get money? What happens? Uh, are you going to send me checks? And the truth is that unlike our first few restaurants, where we were simply giving a percentage of profits to those investors. This is definitely a mid to long-term play. We're building a rocket ship or a race car that we feel will be able to capture a portion of the $250 billion fast food industry. Now, that's a big number, Katrina, so I apologize for throwing it around. No, but okay. fast food in the U.S. is over $250 billion. Um, the flexitarian market, people that are trying to eat healthier more often or more plant-based, is grown from about 25 to 35%. So theoretically, there's like a market opportunity of over 90 billion. Now, I'm not saying plant power is going to go get that, but I do think that if we continue to execute and accelerate the way we are, we are now, we could be one of the contenders to capture a percent of that or 2% of that one day. And that's really what we're, we're going for. So the new parent company and this investment, hmm, I kind of liken it to if we do well, it's like investing in Steve Jobs when he was building little computers in his mom's garage. If we don't do well, you won't see your money. But that's always the case. Yeah. And so far, so far, we've done well. And it's exciting for us because we're bringing in smarter people now. We've got a great restaurant CFO. We've got an advisory board. We've had to grow beyond just the three of us yeah. and bring in people that know actually how do you do that? 
How do you, you know, we can get up to 25 units. How do you go to two or three or 400 units? How does that happen? Um, we haven't done that before. So we're bringing people onto our team who actually do know how to do Great. that. Great. Smart. Love it. Now, in regards to the, the word vegan in your marketing materials, you know, on your website and the prominence of the word, there's the two schools of thought that it's still limiting. People are, you know, the, the vegan myths around veganism are, are still there. And others are like, no, it's a trendy niche right now. So we should use it. And obviously, you've called yourself plant power fast food rather than right. vegan fast food. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts uh, on the use of the word vegan on your choice of how you use it, how much you use it or not. Yeah, thank you. First of all, I wanted to name the, the company um, Meat is Murder Incorporated. But It's funny you mentioned the website. I actually haven't looked at it lately. But for the most part, we actually have been, even though it is a catchphrase, and even veganism is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that we kind of veer towards talking about ourselves publicly as a plant-based brand. So there's two sides to that. Um, you know, everyone's been asking us, like marketing companies and PR firms are going, how have you guys built such a huge brand in three or four short years? And part of that is the fact that the vegans are really devoted to brands like Plant Power. So we can do a little post and it's vegan fast food and every vegan on the planet shares it with a hundred of their omnivore friends. And we can do amazing marketing based on the excitement of the vegan and the animal rights community to get the message out there. So that's interesting. But we're also very aware that the majority of the people that we're trying to get in here, because the vegans will find us. Yeah. You know, the vegans will drive 100 miles to have a, <laughs> have a breakfast muffin like McDonald's that's plant-based. And actually, the, I know of actual examples of that. But, but we're really trying to get the people that haven't been thinking about this yet. And we don't want to scare them away with the word vegan necessarily. Um, you know, it's kind of like the word liberal. I like the word liberal, but a lot of my friends are kind of conservative these days. They might not like that word. So vegan can be a polarizing word. For those of us in the animal advocacy world, it's very inspiring, actually, and it signifies some shared values. But we do want to attract people that haven't really thought about the animals or the planet yet. Maybe they just want to get their cholesterol down, and we want them to feel very welcomed with love at Plant Power. And we, you know, we very specifically don't have, as an example, pizza brochures or something like that. Not that we don't support that work, but we want people to feel safe and comfortable coming in. We don't want them to get too much of a whiff of our ideology. And it's not that we're trying to hide it. It's just that we want everyone to feel very, very welcome. Like it's safe to come here and try a vegan burger. And don't worry, we're not going to ask you to sign up to the secret vegan club and pyramid <laughs> scheme. You know, it's just, just come on and hang out and we're going to serve you with love. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Perfect. Um, what marketing strategies have been uh, and are the most effective in attracting customers and particularly the non vegan Like I know you've mentioned the vegan ones and like you say, you know, we will find things we share on social media, but what, yeah. what um, marketing strategies have been most effective in attracting the majority of your customers who, as you've said, are, are not yet vegan? That's a great question. Um, I think that there's kind of two ways to look at it. First, I want to mention the, the failed technique. I'm a, I'm a little older than my younger partner, Zach, right? Um, I'm in my late fifties. And so I was really excited when we opened our first restaurant about taking out some cool, edgy, full page ads, like in the, in the, uh, you know, the San Diego free periodicals out there. But you know, that's very, very expensive and it's really hard to measure whether or not it works at all. Yeah. And so the truth is what we've really found is that social media allows us to talk to whatever groups we want to talk to. We can aim an ad on Facebook 
towards, uh, now you and I might know that a majority of vegans are women, for example. So if we wanted to aim a, a Facebook ad to women between the ages of 25 and 40, we can actually do that. We have an ad that we think would kind of touch that community or maybe young moms, we can do that. So we've had an extraordinary success um, of having um, videos uh, that we've produced or videos other people have produced about us go viral on social media, primarily these days, Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also been able to use that tool to kind of aim um, ourselves at, you know, maybe people that are practicing yoga or people that are trying to lower their cholesterol. So we're able to use that same format to go after people that are kind of outside of the traditional vegan market, market community. And it's been amazing. The other track that we've used is um, PR. Um, and I'm going to give, I'll give a shout out to our PR firm. This is a great story. Uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I, I started to Google for vegan PR firm in Los Angeles. What are the chances that such a thing exists? And I happened to find a vegan PR firm in Los Angeles called Scout 22, Jim and Lori Amos. They're very talented. And what they have allowed us to do is to kind of leverage our success and leverage our brand and get that turned into articles on social media or print that we could then leverage again in social media. And the articles have been a really good way of reaching out kind of beyond the traditional plant-based community to kind of the larger world and talking about the phenomena of plant-based food. And here's one aspect of it, plant power. So I'd say social media, big. uh, And then we use PR as well to kind of reach beyond the normal social media limits. Got it. Now, we're seeing a little bit of a rise in kind of vegan fast food. And obviously, you've touched on, you mentioned Veggie Grill is the, the key one that's been around for a while. So I'm curious, how do you stand out from other vegan fast food restaurants? And how do you plan to as you grow? Great question. I have to start by saying I had a great dinner at Veggie Grill last night. So big shout out. To <laughs> I think I had their like Beyond Deluxe Burger with a gluten-free bun, and it was amazing. Um, that's a great question. So first of all, you know, every time I go into a veggie grill, I'm just so excited of how they've evolved. Um, their customer experience, their menu, they're absolutely doing it right. I know one of the founders and uh, I'm just proud of what they've done. They've also, frankly, shown the way in many ways. They are, they along with Native Foods are really the first two vegan um, national restaurant chains, Loving Hut perhaps being a third. Mm. So they've kind of shown that there's a market out there for this. and We appreciate that. If I look at Veggie Grill, uh, Native Foods, and Loving Hut, and some of these others, we're really talking about restaurants that would be described as fast casual. So fast casual is not sit-down dining. A waiter doesn't come to your table. You order the food. You get a number. They bring it to your table. That's kind of the fast casual model. Panera Bread might be a good example in the non-vegan world. Plant Power Fast Food very specifically decided to attack the fast food space, or how we call it in the restaurant industry. QSR for quick service restaurants. And so the typical QSR restaurants we all know about, the big brands would be Subway, McDonald's, Jack in the Box, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out, uh, Arby's, Wendy's, Del Taco, Taco Bell, it goes on and on, KFC. But we really wanted to be in that space because we felt that that would be a place where we would have the best chance of reaching out to what I would call the uninitiated, to finding people that weren't even really looking for healthy food yet. But if you showed them a burger, fries, and a shake, and you told them that there was zero cholesterol, they might check it out. So we very specifically wanted to approach that market, which is a massive market. As I may have mentioned, it's considered to be over $250 billion a year now in the US. So uh, I'd say that Veggie Grill, 
and these other brands have done a good job of demonstrating viability of a national brand. We're obviously not a national brand yet. We're kind of working our way up to regional. Um, but the difference with plant power is that I get the sense that we have a wider demographic. I get the sense that that guy that's about to go into Jack in the Box across the street from our restaurant in San Diego looks over and he sees a crowd standing out the door and he wonders, what's going on? I think that we have that kind of a little bit of a glow about our brand that makes vegan fast food very accessible to many people. And, you know, that said, I love these other brands and support them. Interestingly, that's just occurred to me. Do you deliberately open up near a, a like a, a mainstream fast food chain? Because I know that's a strategy. I know it's a strategy with a particular hairdresser who I won't name uh, in the UK <laughs> that does it. They deliberately look for a place that has got a successful hairdresser and then they open up like almost next door or very close by. So I'm curious, is that a strategy that you use? That's a great question. Um, we would like to do that. So um, we did that in San Diego by accident. We just found the right spot and there was a jack in a box across the way. Um, but we have been looking at some new developments where there might be three or four major fast food brands in the development and we might be one of them. We actually do love the idea of being next door or across the street from a McDonald's or a Burger King or something else. And listen, a lot of these restaurants are owned by franchisees. Uh, they may be families. I understand that people make their living there. We're not trying to hurt anyone's business, but ultimately we want everyone to see that we need to move our money and our businesses and our activity into the plant-based space because it's cruelty-free and it's better for the planet for our health. So yeah, we want to go right up against them, but we haven't found the locations quite yet. Um, the fun part is that we have been converting. So as an example, uh, our Encinitas restaurant was a Burger King conversion to a plant power. Um, our upcoming restaurant in Orange County that I haven't spoken about yet because it's a little bit top secret. Um, you heard it that. here first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and, that, and that is uh, going to be a Carl's Jr. conversion to plant power. Oh, and then nice. we've got another one opening up in, I can't quite say it's very early stage, but another Inland Empire unit that looks like it's a Burger King to, to plant power. Oh, convert. I love that. We're really excited <laughs> about demonstrating that we love that story, but we're kind of looking forward to opening up near a McDonald's one day soon. Fantastic. Just briefly, um, you touched on this a little bit. You mentioned that the path that you mentioned when you contacted me, that the path of the vegan entrepreneur is a bit of a spiritual journey for you. So tell us a little bit about that. I know you talked a little bit about the power of intention um, yeah. in finding your partners um, at the beginning. Um, do you want to just say a little bit about how that's played out for you? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, there's a few dimensions to it. And, and, and one I just have to mention because I think about it a lot. Um, you know, the word spiritual or spiritual path means a lot of things to a lot of people, right? Um, it can mean something different to a Buddhist, a Christian, um, someone of the Islamic faith, a new ager, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, my own path has been kind of outwardly kind of what I would describe as kind of the Eastern philosophical meditational path for well over 30 years. But what, what I have found is that the most important thing to me about true spiritual awakening is kind of getting out of our own limited thinking about who we are and understanding that there is a deep underlying connection here that we might not ordinarily see, but there's something that connects us to everything and everyone else. And as a matter of fact, one way of looking at it is that there isn't anyone else, that we are all connected, that we are all one. And it sounds kind of uh, tutti frutti, I know for sure. 
But I think one of the ways that we can understand that oneness is that when we feel deep compassion and love for others. But when I say others, I kind of mean everybody because everyone goes, yeah, I think we need to be nice to people. But they don't really think twice about eating a cow that was killed for their consumption or a pig or a fish or some other animal. So I think in our lives, without being conscious of it, many people are actually creating quite a bit of suffering without being conscious of it because they haven't kind of awoken up yet to the power of their choices and the impact that those choices have. And the truth is about eating animals, you know, I know that this isn't a sunny way to look at it, but we just cause incomprehensible suffering for others. And so for me on the spiritual journey, um, understanding our connection with others, meaning humans and animals, doing everything we can not to create suffering. At the extreme end, that means do not kill. At the, at the other end, it means don't say something unnice to somebody or smile more often. There's a lot of ways to look at it. And so plant power for me was a way to um, bring really the way I look at it and my partners as ethical vegans, we're really trying to bring a cruelty-free food choice to the world. We all understand that there's tremendous benefits to the planet. We understand the power um, or the negative effect, rather, that agriculture has on the environment and climate change. We understand that cooked meat is as carcinogenic as cigarettes yeah. and that cholesterol is a killer. We all understand that, and, and I'm glad that we do. But my partners and I, we just really feel that everyone will benefit if we eat food that doesn't come at the expense of someone else's suffering. Uh, I'm, I'm quite present in the yoga and meditation communities quite a bit. And what I realize is that people are kind of having their spiritual experiences and doing their thing. But when, you know, they take a break, they go have a chicken salad sandwich or they have a, you know, hamburger, but it's okay. Cause it was grass fed. Mm. What we want to show people is that cruelty free, um, kind life is a better path. And that, that's the case for me. The other part of the equation is that starting a, a restaurant like this is like climbing like Mount Everest. As a matter of fact, I think climbing Mount, I think climbing Mount Everest would have been much easier. I mean, I'd have to get in shape, but that would have been a lot easier. This is really, really hard. You know, my partners and I work uh, day in and day out, uh, really seven days a week to make this all happen. And so to do that, you have to have faith. And it's not that we, we, you know, we don't actually often get up, or at least I don't, and dream about that moment where we have 500 restaurants because it's kind of inconsequential. We've got 20 or 30 things that must be done today or this week. But I think that there's some element of faith here. We kind of feel like that this is something that we're supposed to do, that this is our, our destiny, and it requires a certain kind of surrender and faith in that. And also, Katrina, we don't know how it will turn out. We have this huge, gigantic master vision. It looks like there's a lot of wind in our sails. All we can do is take the next step with the right intention, with love. And in my case, you know, I try to keep my ego out of it because I'm doing this to save animals. But sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm really cool because I help create plant power. <laughs> and, and that's not going to, and you know what? That's fun, but it's not going to help. You know, we always have to come back to our hearts um, and, you know, make sure that what we're doing is it's good for our employees and for our customers and for that animals and for our investor family. So for me, it's a journey of traveling each day from fear and anxiety to how will this come out to kind of love and faith and courage and take the next step. And really it's, 
it's actually quite a difficult journey moment to moment sometimes. I really like that you appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that, being honest about that, because I think sometimes people think when certain entrepreneurs have got that outward appearance of success, they think, like you say, oh, he must be really cool, you know, he started plant power. But, <laughs> and I just think the fact that, and they, they kind of, I think they think, oh, there must be, you know, every day they just get up and it's quite cruisy because, you know, they've got, so I really appreciate that you share that even yeah. at someone at your level who's, you know, created this success still, you know, can have that fear and anxiety as we all do. But then, yeah. like you say, yeah, kind of turning that around. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And obviously you've shared a little bit about the, the long-term vision of your brand, which is obviously to, to keep growing nationally, hopefully internationally, um, would be amazing. So um, you've shared some amazing uh, tips and insights and strategies, Jeffrey. Really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Katrina, thank you so much. It's a joy to speak to you about this today. And uh, thank you. So that was Jeffrey Harris from Plant Power Fast Food. You can find out more at plantpowerfastfood.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 132. Now for some vegan business news highlights. Vegan dairy brand Miyoko's Creamery has got two new investors none other than Ellen DeGeneres and her wife, Portia de Rossi. The celebrities are long-time customers of the company, which produces plant-based cheese and butter, and they share founder Miyoko Shinner's mission for promoting a more ethical and sustainable world. DeGeneres said, As we learned more about the mission behind the products and about Miyoko herself, we knew this was a special and exciting company that we wanted to support. Meanwhile, De Rossi cited Miyoko's recent announcement to help a dairy farmer in California transition away from animal agriculture to plants to be used as the company's research and development farm as another reason to support Miyoko's. De Rossi said, We're particularly impressed about their holistic perspective to the challenge of moving our society away from animal agriculture. They understand the big picture, that farmers are part of the solution and require our support to transition away from current practices. It takes this holistic view to transition our world to plant-based diets. I am so, so happy to see Miyoko's get this kind of celebrity endorsement and recognition, both financial and in terms of reach. I had the pleasure of meeting Miyoko in person earlier this year, although we connected a few times online, and I love her because she's a passionate animal activist and vegan, and Miyoko's is a fantastic example of how to run an ethical business that's good for people, animals, and planet. Popular plant-based meat brand Tofurky will launch a collection of humorous, ugly vegan sweaters, or jumpers if you're from the UK, on the 3rd of December, that's 2019 if you're listening in the future, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of its popular turkey, without an E, roast, reports Veg News. The line includes two colourful sweater styles. One says, Say Yum, which pays tribute to the growing plant-based meat trend with pictures of forks and knives over a winter-inspired background. And High Five features a vegan hot dog high-fiving a bun with a message on the back wishing everyone a politically airtight holiday season. 
The company will donate all the proceeds from the sweater sales to Wild Aid, an organisation that works to fight climate change and protect endangered species. I love this initiative. I interviewed Tofurky founder Seth Tibbet for my book Vegan Ventures and he told me about how the brand was always meant to be fun and when he embraced that personally and stopped trying to act like a conservative businessman back in the 90s, Tofurky really took off. It's really important to be creative in your marketing, so I hope that this will spark some ideas for you on how you can promote your products or services in non-traditional ways. And if you come up with something really cool or really out there, drop me a line at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com and I may include you in a future news highlight section of the show or on the Vegan Business Media blog. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.